0: Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt.
1: My name is also Matt. Kind of following up last week, we just had some really good engagement on social media, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram at Finest Work Songs, or you can email us finestworksongs at gmail.com. But I wanted to share a couple of stories based on recent episodes. Two good friends of mine, Tim and Chris, were having lunch last week, and they both were talking about the podcast, which is great, you know. Yeah. Fantastic. and that, But they were both were admitting, you know, do you know Neutral Milk Hotel? And the other one said, no, I mean, I've heard of them, but I don't really know the album at all. As if on cue, some kid walks in the restaurant wearing a Neutral Milk Hotel T-shirt. which what? Yeah, which kind of makes me think, like, Google and Amazon like they're really stepping up there like listening game. <laughs> I mean that's crazy. Like quick, get him in the door. Yeah. Is it a kid in a van outside just waiting to be told what to do? He's got an earpiece in and they're yeah. listening like, "Oh, go in, go in that door." Same Chris was telling me just today we were at Kanye West's house and he was, "Oh, wait, wait, no, it was it was the pool." We were at the pool. Sorry. <laughs> and he told me um he Can't get the theme song to this podcast out of his head. He walks around the house whistling it, you know, so it's catchy. That's great. I actually even heard, I was at the airport, a mom scolding
0: her child and say, are you listening? And I started (laughs) thinking about that song. So shout out to Medium Heat. Medium Heat also has two new tracks out that you can listen to at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. Very cool. We're looking forward to jumping into today's podcast because once again, And do not be frightened, but we are not alone. Because with us today, we have Seth Harrell. Seth, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much for having me. That's
0: our studio audience. Or it could just be Michael Winslow doing all of our voices. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Seth is a great friend from college, and he was passing through and asked if he could crash at my place. And I said, in exchange for doing a podcast, yes. So thanks for... uh, Thanks for nothing. I'm giving you
2: a place to stay. You're just earning rent. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to to earn my keep.
0: Where you sleep depends on how well you do tonight. (laughs) So we'll see if you are on the couch or in a tent out back. I have a feeling that you're going to end up being probably on the good couch. Nice. I believe in you. Nice. Seth, what album are we talking about today?
2: Today we'll be discussing the album Alligator by the band The National.
0: To those of you who do listen to The National and are fans, you may be wondering, why aren't we covering Boxer? Because many people, if they were going to say there's a classic album by The National, it's Boxer, I would just say that I think Boxer has five incredibly strong songs and the rest just don't hold up. Whereas this, I feel like, encompasses who The National are through a whole album. I feel like it's much Mm -hmm. more
2: consistent. Yeah, and, and I think it makes sense. It is kind of a slow-grow album, yeah. Boxer is, whereas I think Alligator hit people right away. Well, you've been a little bit quiet over there, so what
0: are your thoughts about The National? So... You just crossed your arms. I did. <laughs> I feel I'm like a power counselor that I'd be interpreting that. There's
1: no body language here. <laughs> um, every fiber in my body and every DNA tells me that I should absolutely love The National. I don't get it. There's not to say there aren't songs of theirs that I really, really like, but just the overall adoration of them, I'm not seeing. And my buddy Troy is going to kill me for saying that.
0: Now you say every fiber in your being, why do you say that? Why should you like them?
1: I place that in the camp of people I know who, who like the same type of music as I do. Mm-hmm. It all follows a very linear kind of path. And the Nationals definitely on that line right so I feel like it, it, they should be one of those bands that I, I, I really enjoy so it's kind of like me and the Smiths exactly yeah interesting you say that because it, and we'll get into a little bit but part of my hang up with the National is the singing and I, I would assume that probably something that you're hanging up with the Smiths is the vocals too. it's completely the vocals so it's interesting you make that analogy yeah that, that's that is kind of where I get hung up on
0: we actually talked about that at dinner a little bit that
1: was the theory oh great y'all went to dinner Thanks. Appreciate it. Well,
0: Seth likes the national and (laughs) I take people out to dinner who like the national,
1: (laughs) but yet, as we discussed two episodes ago, you don't invite people
0: back over to your house for dinner after they've had you over. Steven really just was riding that hard. He He wouldn't let that go. (laughs) All he talked about was how they had us over for dinner. And actually for all of you listeners out there, the podcast idea began with Matt and I talking about bands that we quote unquote, should like. Right. We were on the same path growing up based around bands like REM and the Connells and U2 and this sort of college rock. And mm-hmm. where we missed one another was with the Smiths. And I shared, hey, I've run into this before. I really should like the Smiths mm-hmm. based on other people that listen to the same music, but I just can't. And then we started talking about bands that you should like. And so part of the impetus for this podcast is the idea that Probably all of us have bands that we should like, that we just can't come around to for some reason. And so today we are going to explore why it is that Matt cannot like the National. But before we do that, as always, we must start with when we first experienced or what our memories are with a band like this. So Seth, as our guest, what are your memories with this
2: band, this time of your life? What do you recall about hearing Alligator? I'm about... 75% 75% certain that the first national song I heard was actually on a mix CD that you gave me. There's a 25% chance it was from our friend Hart and his wife, Colleen, but I'm pretty sure it was from you.
0: I'm going to take credit for that. I'll be glad to take credit okay. for that. Here, Do you remember now. what else was on that mix CD?
2: something. <laughs> Classic album. <laughs> I have clear memories of driving around Warrington, the town that we lived in at the time, listening to that particular mix CD and listening to Alligator as well.
1: All right, Matt, um, clearly you
0: revered this album. What's your memory of Alligator? I don't know if you know, but there were a few years in my life that I was a man of the sea. One day, a storm came up. You may say it was a perfect storm (laughs) that, uh, that came up. And the last thing I remember is just going overboard. And I don't know how I got to shore. And when I woke up, I had a vision of... A woman that had saved me i I became obsessed with with this woman i wasn't ready to go back out on the ocean but a few days later i was walking towards the beach and i found someone it it just looked like she was lost and and really needed help and so i brought her home and this lady couldn't talk everywhere we went it seemed like she was trying to kiss me Mm. which was a little weird the next thing i remember is being on a ship the lady who couldn't speak all of a sudden like sang And it was really beautiful. And I realized that this was the woman who saved my life. I don't know how she was such a strong swimmer or where she came from. But if there's any lesson to be learned in life, it's that if someone can sing really beautifully, that you should love them. Sure. And so I did. Then all of a sudden, there's this really big octopus, which at first I thought was really cool because whenever do you see an octopus? And I'm a man of the sea. And But then my wife was like, no, that octopus is evil. I got really caught up in the moment. I was like, oh, for real, baby? And she's like, yeah, like, kill it. You know, I I don't know what got into me. I, I think it was her singing just really, really drew me in. And so I turned the boat and just drove this boat into this beautiful octopus. And man, I just regret it now because there's so few of these large sea creatures because of all that's going on in the environment and in the oceans. And uh, we really got to do something. Ban straws. Yeah, the straws and people driving boats. (laughs) Anyway, after that, the Coast Guard saw me and they arrested me for murdering this beautiful sea creature. And I did some time in um, an ocean jail (laughs) on a boat. When I made it back to land, I was really excited because I thought my true love would be waiting for me. And she wasn't. I thought she had just deserted me for someone else, but she ended up one day just walking out of the ocean. I forgot to mention, she she was a mermaid, (laughs) so she had some beef with this octopus. I felt a little used by that, but then she just sang, and I forgot all about it because now she had legs. She's the one who introduced me to the National, so I'm grateful to this uh, mermaid wife for many reasons. Man, that was deep. (laughs) So a little backstory on the National. They are from Cincinnati. And they made their way to New York because that's where we go to follow our dreams. This is their third album, Alligator, starts off...
3: Tell you how to gracefully disappear in a room. I know you put in the hours to keep me in sunglasses. I know, and so is now I'm sorry I missed you. I had a secret meeting in the basement of my.
1: Why do you hate this? (laughs) (laughs) The singing. Is that it? Pretty much. There's a handful of songs on here that even musically don't do it for me. What I will say is when his voice goes up an octave or two, Mm -hmm. I find it much more interesting
0: and much more compelling.
1: The music, the guitar and all that, it's right in my wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. When we first started talking, that's what I thought is the music is... Incredible, Mm -hmm. so it must be the singer.
2: I like the dynamic of what you could argue is this really like interesting music juxtaposed with a you know maybe average or not so great voice, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see how those two things work together. And Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe having sat with them longer now, I don't think I would even say, Oh man, he's got a bad voice now, but I get that like initial reaction of this is not a singer. Like I'm used to thinking of a of a singer, but then paired with this really interesting music, it's a cool comparison.
0: I feel like whenever you start talking to this band, the first thing that you address is Matt Bereninger's extremely deadpan yeah. baritone. you know it doesn't seem like there's a lot of effort put mm-hmm. forth. You think, "Wait, everybody else is trying. <laughs> Why not you?
2: <laughs> one of the things I really like about that first song it definitely is one of the kind of slower kind of more mellow ones, but the end uh, where they start having the voices on top at the end. I find that really really interesting and yeah. it kind of foreshadows some of the noisier just kind of raucous stuff that happens in a lot of their yep. a lot of their songs.
1: Yeah, I definitely like the energy in that one versus mm-hmm. Secret Meeting" and even Karen, the second song.
2: It's got that vibe of I'm this really like powerful, cool guy. You know, I've got my bodyguards. Mm-hmm. But then when you hear bodyguard, you don't picture in your mind what he says next when he says, yeah, she comes to attention. And that just like it's a weird mm-hmm. again, it's that like it goes in a different direction because you don't think about of our patriarchal society that we live in you don't think about lady bodyguards <laughs> no you don't we don't think about lady bodyguards
0: especially because matt Branager is like six five he's super tall yeah, yeah so he's super tall i have a hard time thinking of a bodyguard who is shorter right than someone they're protecting i feel like right. one of the minimum requirements is that you are taller and maybe that's just something that i am stuck with are, are you heightest i might be heightest I want to see this bodyguard that he's talking about.
1: It's like a bizarro Whitney Houston, Kevin Costner
0: movie Lady bodyguard <laughs> starring Matt Berninger. <laughs> I always wonder who these characters are that he talks about these characters, either that he sees in New York or that he
2: imagines. I take it as he is singing about himself, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like a picture that he has of himself. You know how you have these moments of, like, extreme confidence yeah. that, that you're, you know, you're on top of the world, you're doing great. you have you're,
0: never felt that in my entire life.
2: <laughs> never. No, not in this room.
0: Well, just a minute. You're at, you're at Benson Mule Days. Right. You are there with... have got the prize mule. You've got the prize mule. Right. You and, uh, what's the name of your band? Which one? Technical Difficulties yeah. or, tr- or Troubleshooter? No. T- oh, my gosh. Which- <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah, troubleshooter.
2: Right. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah, not all that's IT right. related. Was,
0: <laughs> was was your next band like Control C? Like
2: <laughs> Control Alt Delete. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That'll take you back to two thousand one. <laughs> oh my gosh! Technical difficulties and troubleshooter. That's amazing. Yep.
1: So mm-hmm. you were talking about extreme
2: confidence. So, and it, it's these moments he's singing about his expanded view of his own self, but then you also get these songs that are very introspective and I'm not so great. And there's probably even little, you know, clues within the, the bigger songs that kind of undercut the bigger picture a little bit. But for me, this, uh, this whole album is about, growing up a little bit. It's about life in your 20s. You're going from adolescence and young adulthood and moving forward to adulthood, and you have these moments of like, man, this is great, and this is powerful, and and things are going my way. And then you have these moments of, boy, I'm terrible at this. Adulting is really hard. And I think we're seeing the ups and downs throughout this album of that process.
0: I think this album hit you and I and others pretty hard because of that. You know, our friend group was entering marriage and then kids. I don't think that this album would have been as impactful had we been 13 or 50 at the time. The stage of life that we were in, we were going through a lot of the struggles in terms of how life is turning out versus how we expected it to turn out. I often wonder about that, too, in regards to, you know, the three of us are kids of the 80s -hmm. growing up in this era of that's what I was gonna say so that's just that's that's the end of my thought uh, growing up (laughs) this age of elf you know as kids we just saw financial success and confidence surplus surplus. more more yeah America's on top of the world and then through the 90s we we sort of see that dream start to crumble everything from wars to press to scandals to how music started changing and then as we get into our adulthood i think we're combining the two of those like our expectations of success and and what life was supposed to look like versus the cynicism of the 90s and trying to figure out then is this what we expected right and i think for me like i wasn't
1: introduced to this band until probably i had kids you mm-hmm. know and, and was a little bit further into that part of my life had i gotten more into it you know, I don't know if the lyrics would have spoken to me as much then as it maybe they would have five, 10 years previous.
0: It's so. similar to reading something like on the road mm-hmm. when you're 21 yeah. versus reading it for the first time when you're 40, you yeah. know, it's yeah. not going to have the same impact. Right.
2: I went back and read that just recently. Yeah. Loved it in college yeah. and uh, it does not hold up. No. <laughs> yeah. There's
1: actually an article that I read like Friday on cult, literary classics that don't hold
0: up. Mm-hmm. And that was the one they talked about. I think I was probably 27, and I read a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius, mm-hmm. and just felt like this changed my yep. life. And I sent it to my brother, who is 15 years older. He is an avid reader. I'm sure he read it out of graciousness, but... You know, I never heard about it, and yeah. I, I'm thinking if some 27 year old gave me a heartbreaking work of staggering genius now, and I'd read it and think, okay.
1: I, I remember reading Thoreau in college. Oh yeah, and thinking God, I could do that. Right. <laughs> I could go live in the wood, and now I'm like, oh, this is so impractical.
2: That's not going to work. You know, with these songs, again, these lyrics, uh, and even the tone of the music of this this great confidence. But even with like a book like you say, like a heartbreaking work or staggering genius, there's a bit of irony in that title. yeah, um, there, it's, it's, it's self-referential. It knows that it's not really that. And I think even when he's singing these songs of how great I am in this moment, there's a sort of knowing wink that, yeah, but you heard the song before this when I'm not.
3: We are.
0: It makes me think he's out with some friends, and it's like a group of people. They're like, hey, there's supposed to be like the space station like flying over, and we should go look for that. And everybody's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then old curmudgeon tall guy's like, great idea. Let's go look for these astronauts. And as they're walking, he's just like, we're out looking for astronauts, looking for astronauts. They're like, what are you saying? Nothing. It's just a little bit too late for this. It's a little bit too late. You know, like I like the. That he really passive-aggressively turns a really fun thing into something negative. And he's like, come on, lady bodyguard. Okay, <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're going to look at, for astronauts. <laughs> it was dark out there. You need that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't see any astronauts. <laughs> Where, Where are, are the astronauts? astronauts.
2: <laughs> you promised me astronauts. This night is a waste. <laughs> No, that was the the song that you had, in theory, you had put on that mixtape. So it's the first national song that I ever heard. It's always been one that I've gravitated to because it was like the first one that I was introduced to. And I love the the line in there where he says, you know, you have a permanent piece of my medium-sized American heart. Yeah. Those two tensions that we're hearing of the great moment and the despair or the averageness that you're learning about about life because you know our our love stories are supposed to be the greatest story in the world so you know you have a permanent peace and then he says of my medium-sized american heart which is the most average phrase i can think of yeah um so it's his great moment but in the grand scheme of things it's really nothing at all
0: here's the thing about his voice. You know, Seth, you and I talked about this time of life when we're hearing these songs and these words are in some ways voicing those deep inside fears that we have or the insecurities that we have. If his voice wasn't speaking this way, I don't know that we would connect with it. If he were singing it in a very beautiful, melodic way, his voice matches the fear and the mood that we have if we are struggling with these
2: issues. And you wouldn't be able to take it as seriously in some ways. Cause if they were, if he was singing quote unquote, well, you'd be like, Oh, that's a talented dude. I'm not that dude.
0: Everybody can relate to this idea. Maybe not to the extreme sense that he talks about all night. I lay on my pillow and pray for my boss to stop me in the hallway to lay my head on his shoulder and say, son, I've been hearing good things. <laughs> but you know, he's taking this idea that we all have of acceptance mm-hmm. to an extreme case to make the point. And I think that nobody hears that and goes, yeah, I do that too. I L- really Unless want- your boss is your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Even so, we still resonate with that idea and for him to be able to sing this and express it, In such a way, I think, is part of what made us and makes us identify with it.
2: And during that time in our lives, all of our dad issues from our adolescence are now being transferred to the bosses that we're working for in our new careers.
0: Sure. Yeah. And we're actually probably just starting to realize any of us have dad issues. Uh, Before that, you didn't think about it. As we're becoming adults, we are all facing the effect of childhood and the effect of our parents and coming into our own is our identity as humans. My grandfather said the hardest part of life is those years in the early twenties. He said that when I was entering those years and I thought he's in his eighties and he's experienced a lot of hardship and suffering and life. And he's saying like, yep, those are the hardest years. And I've found that to be true. And also just as I've known people who have gone through that, it seems like those really are the, most difficult years where you are entering adulthood for the first time.
2: But to be fair, in his twenties, he was a doughboy in world war one. <laughs> <laughs> and you were just a middle school teacher. That's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He did actually say my early twenties were the hardest. <laughs> Not yeah. Everyone's. 20s. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, me too, grandpa. You know, no, get back to your middle school classroom. You slacker. What did he mean? The 1920s, like the great depression. <laughs> That's probably it. <laughs> of confidence Seth uh, this one really puts it out there
2: yep this is one of the songs that a lot of people gravitate to with this album and just with the national in general
1: yeah this was this is probably one of the two that stood out to me the most as someone who didn't know them and wasn't really drawn to them but this was definitely a, a song I really really liked and kept coming back to yeah. so
0: you liked to sing it on it you like, you're you okay
1: yeah, with the, it? I, the chorus was great on yeah. this that, that's, that's what jumped out at me because you some, want
2: all the wine all the wine but there's fear in it too, though, because in the end of it, he's talking about, like, I won't let the psychos?
0: psychos around.
2: Yeah. He's in this great moment, and the instinct he has in that moment is to build protective mm-hmm. walls and barriers around, you know, himself or his family or whoever yeah. he cares about.
0: He ends it saying, I'm in a state. Nothing can touch us, my love. He's really trying to cling to this this moment that he feels maybe everything's okay. Let's talk about the band. We haven't talked about the band. So, you know, we, we've talked about Matt Berninger a lot. He's this tall drink of water. What's that from? I know it's said, like, it's a common thing, but I feel like that's from something. Oh, it's from Tangled. It shows you what a dad I am. <laughs> yeah, the drunk guy in Tangled, you know, says, oh, you're a tall drink of water. Uh, it's not a Disney movie if someone's not
2: drunk. Right. Or, or, or dying as a parent. Yeah. But to be fair, everyone that likes this band has children the age that that's should know that reference, which is actually why it's disturbing that you don't like this <laughs> band. Yeah, sure, that's fair. Yeah.
0: So the band is made up of a pair of twins. The, uh, what are their names? The Changening Chang Bunker, <laughs> the Siamese twins, the Desner brothers, Bryce and Aaron. They're not very expressive. The band as a whole is not very expressive. You know, there's not a lot of smiling or pointing and gyrating. Yeah, or anything like that. There's kind of thrusting. They nail the deadpan. And then the drummer and the bass player are brothers, the Devendorf's, which I saw the national, I think it was 2010. There was this old couple in front of us. And from the moment I sat down, I couldn't figure out this old couple being there. Because not that I have a problem with that, but they didn't appear to be that into it, and so not just you know, oh here's this older hip couple who's right. at a national show.
1: They've got like season tickets to this auditorium. Yeah, and, exactly. Oh, we better use
0: these before they run <laughs> yeah, out. Well, that's right. playing tonight? The they, yeah, they're waiting. They think that um, Hello Dolly's coming. They think this is the opening act. So then uh, Matt Brenninger up there, you know, Mr. Mope himself is talking, and he points out. That the, the bassist and the drummer are brothers and that their parents are in the audience tonight. Now I know why they're here. And then I thought, why didn't he, his parents get better seats? You know, because they're sitting where we are. But anyway, lots of brothers in this band except for Matt Berninger. Do you think that he would crash with them, like try and go home with one set of the brothers or the other set of the brothers for Thanksgiving?
2: I think he's the most important piece because it's always two votes to two votes and he's always the tiebreaker. Oh my gosh, yeah.
0: (laughs) I like the idea that the brothers are always (laughs) voting together. What are they voting on? Where to eat dinner. (laughs) Whether to stop at this hotel or to drive an hour longer for the one that has a pool. (laughs) Do you think he feels like an only child among families? That's why he's so sad all the time and mopey. If the first thing that you talk about in the band is Matt Berninger, then the second thing that you have to address is Brian Devendorf, because the drummer in this band is the most important member of this band. You remove him and you do not have the national.
2: I think it's definitely the part of the band that stuck out to me first and and definitely earlier on. In the records, I think as they grow as a band and as the records, you know, move forward, uh, I think I can appreciate more what the Desners are doing mm-hmm. with guitar and different instrumentation and arranging of things. But yeah, that rhythm section and that drumming is incredible, and it just sets this kind of weird tone for everything, and it and it holds it all together.
0: What are they like in concert? You said they weren't very expressive, but I mean they played everything extremely well. They just weren't physically showing really any emotion. Mm -hmm. Matt Berninger kind of stood there. It was not that exciting. They're a band that after I saw them, I thought, I don't need to see them again, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I will continue to buy their albums and really enjoy their music. But Seth, you saw them recently.
2: Yeah, I was actually going to ask you how many people were on stage when you saw them.
0: There was the band, the drummer and the bass player's parents got up there.
2: (laughs) They were on stage. So it was just the five of them? It was just the five. I saw them a couple months ago, and that band has expanded in some ways. It's obviously the core five of them, but on the stage, there was a second drummer. There were two uh, brass players. There was another multi-instrumentalist. There was a female vocalist as well. So it's getting a lot more complex. Mm -hmm. And they're still pretty calm on stage, Uh, But there's a lot to look at and a lot going on Mm -hmm. uh, musically uh, and people playing different things. And Matt actually goes out in the audience a lot. I don't know if he did that during yours. You said he was standing still. That's right. A lot more. Yeah. Um, So now I think his big thing, he actually goes out in the audience, a big old long microphone cord um, and gets out in the middle of the crowd. Which sort of turns the crowd to looking at each other, and it kind of makes this sort of communal thing. So maybe they've kind of grown into that showmanship mm-hmm. a little bit over the years. But there's there's a lot going on up there, and it's it's really interesting to to, to watch. Two drummers—that's interesting,
0: especially mm-hmm. with Brian Devendorf as your drummer.
2: Mm-hmm. How am I doing? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: you right from the beginning yeah him him singing up a little bit the double vocals was really intriguing as well and i
0: really like this one nice yeah two out of 12. (laughs) (laughs) yeah the drumming on this it makes me wonder sometimes if they start with drums and i know Mm. that bands don't do that i haven't heard of a band that would do that have you heard ants marching
2: (laughs) (laughs) 16 (laughs) yeah
0: he just sat there like a jerk hitting the snare drum over and over again until they did something. He's like, pop, pop, do something with it, pop, pop. And there's something about his drums that is so musical because he could play something more straightforward and it wouldn't have the energy that it has. And so it's, it's not just the way he plays, it's really forward-leaning, but it's so musical.
2: I, going back and listening to this one after having you know heard where they've gone... There is. It seems simpler. There's less going on there. They get a lot more elaborate and orchestral as as they move forward. Mm-hmm. Which I. It's probably polarizing. In fact, I think the story of their next album, Boxer, was that the label hated it and everybody kind of hated it because it didn't. He didn't scream, like he does in in Abel and mm. and some others. Um, and he had made a conscious decision to not do that, and so it put him in a different direction. And it still kills when they do it live, but uh, they, they wanted to go somewhere else with it. Yeah. Uh, and I see, uh, you know, like we've talked about Alligator being about that process of, of growing up as a young adult. I find Alligator and Boxer are, are that space for me, that time of life. And then High Violet and Trouble Will Find Me move into Family, It's, it's Mm -hmm. not your list. You're not the single 20 year old anymore. Mm -hmm. It's now, you know, afraid of everyone is about, um, I defend my family with my orange umbrella. I'm afraid of everyone. I'm afraid of everyone. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was hitting at the exact same time in my life. Mm -hmm. So those continued to connect.
0: I like to think that he's going to become really curmudgeoning as a dad of teenagers (laughs) songs about that.
2: Just a song called Be Home by Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, song
0: called Help Me Turn on My Phone <laughs> <laughs>
1: This Had been the first song I would have heard by the National, I probably maybe have taken a different route to mm-hmm. them and, and maybe would have been a little more intrigued by more of their songs because I really, I really like that one a lot. And yeah, it's, like you said, the uh energy and, and I mean, the vocals are strong and loud. Uh, I mean, the drumming is incredible. I mean, the chorus, I mean, I can't sing it in the car with my kids, but you know, it's catchy. But yeah, no, that's this is that's a
0: clearly a, a, a wonderful song. This song was attached to the Obama presidential campaign in 2008. They made t-shirts with his face and said, uh, Mr. November on Mr. it. November. Mr. November. But that the song was actually written about John Kerry earlier and how uncomfortable it must be to run for president. They weren't claiming to be a political ban or thinking of themselves that way, but mm-hmm. his yelling in the song has always impacted me because... When he sings most of the time, it's very down and very, Mm -hmm. very cynical, either struggling with identity and fear and what's happening in the world around. And so when he does yell, it feels like a little bit of a release, Mm -hmm. especially in a time when I'm not only dealing in my own life with becoming an adult, but this is happening in the 2000s where we are dealing with a lot of fear Mm -hmm. and a lot of questions around security and safety and war and a lot of uncertainty and so as all of these things are coming together it seems like the national really allowed a lot of us to have a way to express that things that we didn't know how to quite feel growing up as a kid in the 80s there Mm -hmm. was just affluence Mm -hmm. and confidence Um, i think there's something about when he yells that it's really impactful because of that
2: this song for me kind of combines the, the two tensions that we've mm-hmm. seen throughout the album because you know, it starts out like, this is nothing like it was in my room and my best clothes. You know, uh, first hearing this, I wasn't making political connections in mm-hmm. it. I'm thinking of myself like, you know, getting dressed for that big presentation or for that next thing. And you're like standing there going, can I do this? Am I going to be able to pull this off? And mm-hmm. maybe feeling confident in that moment, but you're not sure, there's a lot of self doubt. So I think this gets that mix. And then you get that release of the yell of, I'm Mr. November. I got this. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it also like harkens back to those moments when you maybe did feel more secure and feel like you had it all together Mm -hmm. back in the 80s, like we've been talking about. Because he talks about, you know, I used to be carried in the arms of cheerleaders. Like that's like the high point of life, I guess. It's a great metaphor for that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Matt, if old giant Matty B is going to have his lady bodyguard put a revolver to your head and you have to take one song off,
0: what would it be for you? I think it's Karen, the second song on the album. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about this one that just feels a little bit flat. I don't know Karen. I don't care to know Karen as a result of this song. Yeah, that, that's it for me. There's
1: about a four song stretch on this album that I just found myself like skipping and skipping and skipping ouch yeah I know hey, hey that's alright if I had to take one song off for me it would be Val Jester okay when I was taking notes on this I just wrote boring beside <laughs> it I'm the
2: same as you Matt it's probably Karen I find the beginning portion of that song it's bouncy and kind of light hearted in a way that I'm not comfortable with the national being. <laughs> um, so that, that's why I chose Karen yeah. is I, I want them to either be moping and sad about everything mm-hmm. or excessively confident about things. <laughs> yeah. I don't like bouncy and in a good headspace. No, yeah. that's right. That's cool.
1: We always love getting feedback from listeners, either through email, finestworksongs at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at finestworksongs. love to know your thoughts on this album and other albums you'd like for us to talk about. There's plenty left to, to get through, so looking forward to
0: future episodes. Seth, we had a lot of fun. Thank you for being here.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I really yeah, appreciate this, it. This it's great, great to talk about this album with you guys.
0: we'll be back soon with another album but in the meantime like Bobby Brown we hope you keep humping around our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat this track is called Radio and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com and check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music.